big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hello, everyone. Today's the day. The sun is shining, the tank is clean, and season two is live in your ears. To celebrate this momentous occasion, we are having a patron-only live stream this Friday, March 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want in on that live stream, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice and become an estate or pod squad level patron. If you're already a patron at that level, we can't wait to see you there. Today begins our sense and sensibility journey. If you're just joining us now, welcome. And please note that this is a spoiler free podcast. I, Molly, have absolutely no idea what's about to go down in this book. So if you follow us on social media, which you totally should at pod and prejudice everywhere, please keep spoilers out of any messages to us. If you just have to share something with spoilers, email us at podandprejudice at gmail.com with spoilers in all caps in the subject line. You can find transcripts of our episodes at podandprejudice.com slash transcripts. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs, a podcast transcription company that we've been using for almost a year, and we love them. The best part about them is that they are real people, not a transcription software. If you host a podcast and want accurate transcription with fast turnaround and a really reasonable price, check out speechdocs.com or follow the link in our show notes. And now, enjoy this week's episode, covering chapters one through three of Sense and Sensibility. We'll just, like, talk for a little bit and then we'll sync up. Well, we already synced up, right? Oh, yeah, we did already sync up. So it would be just, like, putting in the intro. You're so right. So we're we're, we're in sync. We're, we're clearly in practice of recording just the two of us. I've missed this. We've had some wonderful guests on. But, girl, I have missed your face. <laughs> I know. This is nice. This is just going to be, like, hanging out with our wine together like we, like we used to in New York. Oh, my God. I'm glad we have our matching Grogu's so that we can pretend that we're hanging out together. Yes, the Grogu's and the wine really do make it like a really classic Becca Molly hang sesh. Yeah. Just uh, listeners, we both have stuffed Grogu's, baby Yoda's, if you will. Yes. And they match. So they do. And they're both super cute. Mine is pretty plushy. I don't know what. Yeah. Yours no, is we like. have the same exact Grogu. Yay. He's the same. He's the soft headed one. Mine was, came from Tyranny. Yours came from Mike, I believe. <laughs> the romantic gifts I received. <laughs> he also got me a planner with all the Jane Austen books on it. Oh, so. wow. What a good boy. Very thoughtful. Yeah, he's he's a good little Bingley. We love him. <laughs> and on that note, this is Becca. This is Molly. Welcome to season two of Pod and Prejudice. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here to talk about sense and sensibility. Yeah, both a sense and a sensibility. I am so excited for this. Molly, are you excited? Yes, to be fair to myself, to be fair to everyone who might be thinking the same thing I am, I thought sense and sensibility were the same, like they meant the same thing. Like it doesn't, they're so similar, but they're not also. And I'm just, I mean, so pride and prejudice, I feel like prejudice and pride 
came in a lot later in the book, but this is like chapter two. It's like sensibility. Right off the bat. Yeah. Yes. This book has less of a desire to hide the ball on the title. It's in the title. Pride and Prejudice does. Before we get into this, I want to share what I know about this book already. That would be nothing. I thought that this was the sequel to Pride and Prejudice for most of my life. (laughs) And so I'm very excited to get into it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my. Uh, I was not prepared. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about it with you. This book is amazing. This is, as I said, my favorite work of Jane Austen's. It's also the first one she published. She wrote Pride and Prejudice first. If you remember, it used to be called First Impressions, but she didn't publish it. Then she published Sense and Sensibility. And then after that, published Pride and Prejudice. Sense and Sensibility is not as punchy in its immediate humor as Pride and Prejudice. It's still really funny, but it has drama and deep emotion. And it's, uh, it's a wonderful book. I'm so excited. And many people know it from its very famous adaptation, also made in 1995. 1995, the year I was born. And a good year for filmed adaptations of Jane Austen novels. Yeah, there was like a renaissance of Jane Austen adaptations that plummeted with a specific Gwyneth Paltrow interpretation of a certain character. Interesting. Interesting. I'll say on that matter. I feel like there's going to be another renaissance of Jane Austen and I mean, Regent Sierra stuff right now. Like, I mean, Bridgerton obviously just came out and everyone's obsessed with it and yeah that was really fun I I want to say quickly on Bridgerton what's interesting is that Bridgerton is very much a fantasy Regency era like you look at something like 1995 Pride and Prejudice or even 2005 Pride and Prejudice and there's a real uh want to recreate the time period whereas I don't think Bridgerton is necessarily trying to do that they do a variation on the time period while incorporating a lot of the things we find interesting in engaging about Regency era stories. I totally see what you mean by a fantasy Regency era, which I think is exactly what people wanted right now. They were like, I want to escape and I want something where the stakes are so low. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Yes. Jane Austen. Sense and sensibility. Are you guys ready? We're going to start with chapter one. There is a lot going on very immediately in this book. Yeah. First of all, there's a lot of death. Like, <laughs> like I said, this this book already off the bat is a little darker than Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Like for all of Pride and Prejudice, I was like, when's Mr. Bennett going to die? This one is like first page dead. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, OK, let's get into the plot. I'll tell you all what happened. I think that maybe some of our listeners have never read Sense and Sensibility and might be reading it for the first time. Okay, if that is the case, I'm here to take you on this journey. Also, cheers. We have wine here. Cheers. A toast to Jane Austen. To the groom. Beautiful. (laughs) To the bride. (laughs) To the bride. And her beautiful words. And her beautiful work to her sister. Okay, so chapter one. A capital G gentleman. Is it spelled with a capital G in your book too? Uh, Let me double check. I read Jane Austen on my Kindle because I got it. The whole Jane Austen works for like two dollars. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is in mine, but it is. He is a gentleman. In mine, it's spelled with a capital G every time. So a capital G gentleman lives at Norland Park with his sister, and his sister dies ten years before he does. So when his sister dies, he's lonely. He invites his son, her son, his nephew, mm-hmm, Henry Dashwood, and his family to come live with him. Now, Henry has one son from a former marriage and three daughters from a current one. My first question is, is Henry Dashwood divorced or a widower? Widower. 
Okay, so Henry Dashwood's son from his former marriage is kind of rich because his mother left him a large sum of money, right? Yes. So John Dashwood, Henry Dashwood's eldest child, was his child by his first marriage. His wife dies. And she's from a very wealthy family. So John Dashwood is independently rich. He hasn't inherited from his father yet. Then John Dashwood marries Fanny Dashwood or Mrs. John Dashwood. And she comes from hella money. Right. So he's doing pretty well for himself at the beginning of this book. He has a very good amount of money at this point. I have to say that my notes, when it said that Henry Dashwood had a son, I circled son and wrote a son. Yes, because that is the first difference we have in this book. There is a son in the main family. Somebody to inherit. And already I hate everything about the inheritance laws. And I hate this man, to be honest. Like, Yep. Yep. I have feelings about John Dashwood, which we'll get into in chapter two, where a lot of my feelings really started to kick in. But like, he's such a fucking weenie. Oh my God. John Dashwood is the weenie to end all weenies in a fucking 19th century England. Yeah, he's just such a pushover. So we'll get there. But like, already don't like him. He's also not just a pushover. Well, we'll, you know, what? we'll talk about it when we get there. (laughs) Right. So because John Dashwood is super, super rich, the succession of Norland Park, like, really shouldn't matter to him. However, when the capital G gentleman dies, he leaves the whole estate to John Dashwood's son? Question mark? Not exactly. To John Dashwood? So, to Henry Dashwood, actually. I thought it said that he left it to... All right, we're gonna gonna map this out for you so that you're not at all confused. I'm still gonna be confused, but go right ahead. Okay, so you have... Uh, the gentleman who lives in Norland Park, and he invites his nephew, Henry Dashwood, and his wife, Mrs. Henry Dashwood, to live with him in Norland Park. Mr. Henry Dashwood has a son named John Dashwood, married to Mrs. John Dashwood, adult son. Then with his new wife, Mr. Henry Dashwood has three daughters, Eleanor, Marianne, and Margaret. Mm -hmm. So what happened when the old gentleman died is kind of similar to what was going on with the Bennets. He left Norland Park to Mr. Henry Dashwood for his life, basically, and then immediately to Mr. John Dashwood. Now, they don't specify in the book as to which it is, which is I can put my legal cap on and say it's either a life estate or a fee tail. I'm inclined to think it's the fee tail, like we talked about in, oh, spilled wine on myself while I was talking law. <laughs> Very Becca mood. <laughs> a fee tail is when you basically leave someone land and say, but you can only pass it on to male heirs. Uh-huh. Or it can be a life estate, which is when you say you get this property for your lifetime, but the moment you die, it goes immediately to this person who I want it to go to. I see. So it sounds like the second, but I'm just going to read what it says because this is what the sentence is what confused me. The old gentleman was neither so unjust nor so ungrateful as to leave his estate from his nephew, meaning to keep it from Henry. Henry Dashwood. Yeah, But he left it to him on such terms as destroyed half the value of the bequest. Mr. Dashwood, that's Henry Dashwood, had wished for it more for the sake of his wife and daughters than for himself or his son. But to his son and his son's son, a child of four years old, it was secured in such a way as to leave himself, Mr. Henry Dashwood, no power of providing for those who were most dear to him. So it basically male heirs, male heirs. That makes sense. Yes, exactly. Oh, man, fuck that. My notes just said men in all caps. And also because he thought that this baby was cute. Like it goes on about the cute baby. He also thought the like the young man was nice. 
John. Yeah. Uh, I don't like the old gentleman. I do like Henry. Yes. Who seems like a smart guy, and I'm sad that he's literally already dead. Yes. So Henry basically says, oh, fuck. Well, at least what I'll do is I'll make money outside of this money I inherited. And that way, my girls will have something that I can leave them on my own terms. And then he pretty much instantly dies. Yes, he dies immediately. So do you understand what just happened, basically? He was planning to earn a lot of money to support his wife and daughters because his son is already rich as fuck. But he didn't have enough time. So he left the women destitute, as is the theme of the time. I was going to say, basically, this is Mrs. Bennett's worst fear. Yes. Yes. This is what we're talking about here. Oh, speaking of Mrs. Bennett, Mrs. Dashwood is my absolute favorite Jane Austen character so far. She's iconic. She's just (laughs) good. And we'll get to why I think so, but I just want to say off the bat, like, what a good character. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that all happens. He's dead. And on his deathbed, Henry begs John to please look out for his sisters and his mother. Leaving it vague enough, I guess, that we can have a discussion about what he meant about that. But, like, John knows. What a fucking weenie. He knows that he wants him to give them money. Yeah. It's basically just a situation where it says, John, you have it quoted here, was not an ill-disposed young man, unless to be cold-hearted and rather selfish is to be ill-disposed. I cackled. I was like, what do you think ill-disposed means? Well, I think that's the satiric joke that Jane Austen is putting in front of us. Yeah. Also, I think it's very specific to be like, oh, I want to do good. It's He's basically the kind of guy who really wants to believe himself to be a good person, but doesn't have the goods to back it up. Like he will think, I am a good person. I've done well by people. But he's put in a place where he can support his stepmom and sisters at very little expense to himself. And rather than take a slight disadvantage, he ends up going in a different direction. But his initial instinct was, yeah, I'll help out, of course. Like, let me give them this actually decent sum of money. Yeah, he plans to give them $1,000 a year or all just at once? Uh, A year. A a year each. So that's 4,000, not dollars, pounds, 4,000 pounds a year. Which to him is not a lot because as it's been said already, he's fucking filthy rich. He he says himself, he, he himself gets 4000 from the inheritance anyway. Right. With that. Exactly. So I'm going to make a meme out of this and post it for when we start this. But there's a scene in Gilmore Girls where someone says, I hate people with money. And that's just going to be the post. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Molly reading Fanny and John Dashwood for the first time. Fanny Dashwood fucking sucks. And so, okay. Yo. Fuck Fanny. Fuck Fanny. That's like the fuck Wickham of this book. Is fuck oh, Fanny. Fuck Fanny. Like, there are a lot of uh, antagonists in Jane Austen's work, but very few do you hate off the bat quite as immediately as you hate Fanny Dashwood. Fanny Dashwood fucking sucks. So it even says John Dashwood would be okay if he hadn't married an absolute bitch. First of all, it's funny to me. I, this is like slightly a tangent, but bear with me. Fanny in the US means butt. Yeah, she's a big butt. Booty booty. She's a big butt. But in the UK, it's a very rude word for someone's like vaginal area. Oh, true, true, true. Wait, what was I watching recently that was like, well, everything means pussy in Britain? (laughs) I don't know, but that's hilarious because it's true. I'll have to. Oh, I know what it was. I was watching a 
a Barbara Streisand movie that I had never watched before called The Mirror Has Two Faces. And it was Barbara Streisand. And it was a scene with her and Pierce Brosnan. And she was like, doesn't that mean vagina? And he was like, everything means vagina. I'm like floored. I don't know what to do with all of that. You gave me Barbara Streisand talking to Pierce Brosnan about vaginas in a movie. I I not seen this movie. I I'm need a moment. Can I just say this is a tangent on your tangent, but like it's been a minute since we've gotten to banter, so I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, go for it. I would recommend The Mirror Has Two Faces to anyone who's looking for a movie that subverts the societal expectations of the time that the woman it's like the opposite of the grease effect where like she gets hot and then the boy wants her. She is like fuck this man, I'm going to get hot for myself and then I'm going to dump him at dinner and it's so empowering to me. I was like, yes, Barbra Streisand. All right, I can get behind that, but wow. Yeah. What a what a moment. Also, Barbra Streisand's always hot. Always. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Except, I mean, that woman is insane. Have you seen the yes, I've microphone? Seen yep. The Oprah microphone bit? <laughs> oh, no, I haven't. I've seen the v- music video that you sent me that she made about Donald Trump. Oh, my God. No, no. I'm talking about the time where she went on Oprah to sing a song. Oh, she was singing The Way We Were about her dog that had recently passed. Oh. And she took one of Oprah's microphones and painted it white without telling Oprah. For the performance. Wow, Babs. She also has a mall underneath her house and fills her toilet bowls with rose petals. Barbara Streisand is the eccentric celebrity to end all eccentric celebrities. That is pretty eccentric. However, I recently saw several pictures of Carrie Fisher's house and rest her goddamn fucking soul. I love that woman so much. And her house is phenomenal. Just look it up. Everyone look it up. Noted. So back to what I was saying about Fanny. Yes, I'm so sorry. But yeah. It's funny because uh, this isn't the only, this isn't really a spoiler, but this isn't the only character named Fanny in a Jane Austen book. Isn't someone named Fanny Bryce? Or is that Funny Girl? That's Funny Girl. That's Funny Girl. Another Barbara Streisand movie. There's a different character who is much less hateable than Fanny Dashwood that you will meet later on. Think what you may about her, but she's certainly not as bad as Fanny Dashwood. But it leads me to believe that the way that Fanny became known as vagina is the same way that Dick became known as penis. Oh, because that's a name too. Yeah, exactly. It's a nickname for Richard that used to be pretty popular. So people were just calling it like, you know, my uh, my John, my my Stan. I don't know. Well, John is also a name. Yeah, no, but that's what I'm saying. It's like it's a common name that people were using to refer to their genitals. Oh, I see. Because it was common and not because there was a particular asshole named Dick and exactly. a particular asshole named Fanny. I see, I see. Back to the book, but that was my theory on the matter. Yes. So back to the book. The funeral for the old gentleman with a capital G ends and like immediately Fanny Dashwood shows up at the estate, Norwood estate, with her family. And Mrs. Dashwood, who doesn't have a first date, Question mark. Mrs. Bennett, Mrs. Dashwood sort of vibe. Yeah. Mrs. Bennett's first name is Fanny too. What? Yeah. He calls are her- Are we are we making that? Am- no, you know what? I'm not I'm not making it up. The 2005 movie is making it up. Yes. Yes. That, okay. that, I Googled this because I remember I was like, do they have first names? They do not have first names. You're right. Okay, so this is Fanny. Um, anyway, she shows up. She sucks. So Mrs. Dashwood like really wishes she could leave because she fucking hates Fanny, just like the rest of us. But Eleanor, her oldest daughter, convinces her that that would be improper. So they stay, which like good because it's literally their house. And they didn't give them any time to find a new place. And like, it just, it's really terrible. 
Mrs. Bennett's worst nightmare, as you said. Yeah, to be clear, Fanny moves their shit in, like, before Mr. Henry Dashwood is cold in his grave. Yeah, no, it's like, she was waiting. This is like when Mrs. Bennett was like, Charlotte's gonna turn us out of house and home as soon as you die. That's exactly what's happening here. Yeah, what we're seeing here is actually Mrs. Bennett's fears realized. Obviously, the people in Pride and Prejudice are a little bit more tactful than that, and Mr. Bennett was in better health than Mr. Dashwood. But this is the really serious fear that Mrs. Bennett had through the entirety of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. So we get a little introduction to the Dashwood girls. We've got Eleanor, who's the oldest at 19 and the most able to control her emotions. Like she has feelings, but she doesn't show them. Kind of like the Jane equivalent, but a little bit more charismatic, I think, than Jane in my opinion so far. Okay, that's a good read. That's my read. Then we've got Marianne, who is the middle child. And I would say that she's like very middle childy, but not in the merry middle child way, but more in the like, she's very cool. She's very much like her mother. She's as kind and smart as her sister, but her emotions run rampant and she goes with them. And I relate. I was going to say, Mrs. Dashwood and Marianne both live for the drama. They live for the drama. Yeah. And I think it's it's something that I guess British society sometimes takes badly and some other people do take badly. But there is a real vitality to them both being willing to wear their hearts on their sleeves. I fucking love it. And I mean, that's how I am. And I've been told that I feel my emotions very fully and that that's a beautiful thing. Thank you, mom. Thank you, my therapist and and all my friends. But like, I think that that's great. But in this time, that's considered, quote, anything but prudent. It says in the book, she has an excess of sensibility. So I wrote down two definitions of the word sensibility. One, the ability to appreciate and respond to complex emotional or aesthetic influences or sensitivity. And two, a person's delicate sensitivity that makes them readily offended or shocked. So having an excess of sensibility means both you respond to emotions very easily and two, get offended really easily and get shocked by things and like basically are feeling all over the place. So I guess the thing that I'm thinking about is sense, meaning being, well, I would say sensible, practical. Right. But see, this is the thing. Sensible and sensibility. Like, how are those two, like the English language, sensible meaning like, oh, sensible shoes. Like they make sense. They're sensible. But sensibility is being like, ah! English is a weird language. Fucking weird. But anyway, so that's what, so that's, they're supposed to be on two opposite ends of the spectrum. Having sense and being full of sensibility. Having sensibility. Having sensibility is different than being sensible. Got it. Thank you. So mostly Marianne seems dope and Margaret is the third sister and she kind of feels like Kitty or Mary. Like they don't really say anything about her. She's 13, but she's already kind of taking after Marianne. I think it's more that Margaret's just young. Yeah. So she's like not she's not in the gentleman search yet yeah she's not she's not really gone through puberty fully like she's still a kid got it got it got it got it so i hope justice for margaret that's all i'll say about that all right all right all right and my last uh (laughs) note was that i think a prediction is that marianne is played by kate winslet do you want me to confirm or deny that um no don't confirm or deny it because actually in my head i am starting to try to piece the story together based on what i know about the actors who play them and I think that I'm a little bit confused and wrong. So Okay. Yeah. So that's the end of chapter one. 
Chapter two is all about John Dashwood being a fucking weenie. So listeners who may not have read Sense and Sensibility or who are tuning in without refreshing, we were really tough on John and Fanny Dashwood like pretty immediately in this book. But this chapter is a reason why. Yeah, it's like you don't even give us a chance to be deceived by them like we were with Wickham. Like we don't like these people. And here, here's why. First of all, this feels very Cinderella. So Fanny comes in. She becomes the mistress of Norwood. She is pushing around the girls who live there already. Very Cinderella. Then it said John encourages his mom and his sisters to think of it as if it was their home, which it is. It's so fucking insulting. It's like, oh, I hope you'll be comfortable here. It's like, yeah, I've lived here my whole life, dude. It's like, no, no, like, don't worry. Like, you're not intruding on us. And it's like, yeah. But you can see how he's trying to convince himself he's being nice. Right. And it makes me so mad. Oh, God. John Dashwood. Like, Fanny Dashwood is evil. Like, she is, like, out there being vicious. But John Dashwood, in a lot of ways, is worse. Because at least with someone evil, you know they're your enemy. John Dashwood is the type of guy who still is going to find a way to victimize himself. Right. And make himself out to be the good guy. And it's even more frustrating in some ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And at the end of this chapter, like, he ends up being like, oh, yeah, my dad only thought of himself and his wife and, like, didn't give anything to me because of the plates, which we'll get into. But, like, yeah. mm. So Mrs. Dashwood's literally in mourning. And there was a sentence that I quoted, in sorrow, she must be equally carried away in her fancy. And as far beyond consolation as in pleasure, she was beyond... Alloy? Alloy is like, um, it's like being calm. Okay, because I Googled it and all I could find was a mixture of two or more metals. (laughs) Yeah, that's mostly what it is. But alloy as an adjective, let me find it. I found it earlier because I wanted to be like double sure I was giving you the right thing. Um... Moderate. Moderate. Temper. Being of moderate temperament. Cool, 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 cool. So basically, Mrs. Dashwood's losing her shit. She's all over the place, which, like, of course she is. Her husband just died, and immediately her daughter-in-law moved in and was like, get out of my house. So fuck her. I meant not fuck Mrs. Dashwood, but yeah. The criticism that like an Eleanor would levy against Mrs. Dashwood is like, we're in crisis right now. You don't have time to depression spiral. You're the leader now. Mm -hmm. You have to get your shit together and get us somewhere to live. Yeah, which like, I guess, but I'm really feeling for Mrs. Dashwood here. And I also, I know what Eleanor means by that. And I think that's a fair response to have, but like, Mrs. Dashwood's probably doing the best that she can, and I love her. Yeah, I think there's I think there's room in a modern adaptation of this book to be a little bit more sympathetic to what Mrs. Dashwood is going through here. Mm-hmm. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. 
After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So... Fanny doesn't think that John should give them as much money as he said he was going to. Drinking for fuck Fanny. Yep. Fuck Fanny. Fucker. So sorry to our listeners who think that we swear too much. <laughs> you know what? Even our listeners who think we swear too much will give it to us that Fanny Dashwood deserves some fucks. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Except she doesn't deserve to be fucked. To be fucked. Yeah. You know what? She deserves to be fucked by John Dashwood, who cannot be a good lover. No, he's <laughs> he's a fucking weenie. He's a weenie. He's like goes soft in 30 seconds and cries. <laughs> <laughs> never has gone down on a woman. No, nope, anyway. definitely not. So she thinks that it's not normal for children who are born of different mothers to even have any kind of relationship with each other, which is, I think that must be a time thing, like of the time and, or maybe just of a being a jerk thing, but like half siblings totally have relationships with each other. Yeah, she's just being a dick. <laughs> yeah, she sucks. She says, First of all, your father wasn't in his right mind when he told you to take care of his wife and daughters, that he was like so sick that he couldn't have possibly known what he was saying. Then she says it's too much to give them anyway. It would be different if like eventually the money were going to be paid back. But imagine if our son has his own family, then he'll be missing all this money. And John's like, oh, you're right. You're right. Meanwhile, their son is already inheriting everything. Right. Uh, So... Then she says they're going to be very comfortable with like 500, which is what he says. Okay, maybe I'll cut it in half, give them 500. And she says, oh, that's good. They'll be very comfortable with 500 plus. They're each getting 3000 after their mother dies, like the daughters, his sisters. So then they'll be set for life, basically. And he says, oh, yeah, you're right. Maybe I should do like a smaller sum. Just give it to them yearly, like 50 or I don't know, like every year some amount and then Fanny says that would be better oh 500 or some amount leading up until 1500 she says that would be better than to part with 1500 all at once but if the mother lives for 15 years then they're just going to be completely taken in which I wasn't sure what completely taken in means but I think that like like duped scam right they're going to have given them more money than they needed just like fuck Fanny like here's what's happening she is trying to convince her husband that he deserves this money Mm -hmm. which he does not oh no no no. I mean like granted no one really deserves this it's inheritance right but these girls their father wanted to take care of them and their brother is somehow acting as though he is the victim here it's so Cinderella oh yeah this is a very classic trope of like 
getting duped by your step-sibling. Yeah. And John says, 15 years? My dear Fanny, her life cannot be worth half that purchase. What does that mean? Does he mean her life is worth more than 1500 or her life isn't worth half 1500 I don't. I think he's basically saying, I can't pay her that amount of time over her time being alive. So he's being a, a really big asshole? Yes. Because I thought maybe he was like surprised that she would say like, you can't get 1500 over her lifetime. But the phrasing of it was such that it seems like he's saying she's not worth that much. No, let's make it very clear. John Dashwood is agreeing with like everything his wife says here. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, he wants an out to paying this money when he thinks about it. Mm-hmm. He just got caught up in like defining himself as the hero. Right. And then once he gets into a state where he's like, oh, wait, ugh, this is what I have to give up to be a hero. Oh, that's way too much, way too big a sacrifice for me. Okay, that makes sense. And question mark then, is the life expectancy like much lower? Yes. That would be like, she's probably like 50 right now. She'd probably be dying at like 65. She's younger than that. Uh, I think she's like 40. I think, yeah, I feel like my numbers, somehow I knew that she was young. I don't know what they said, but somehow I knew she was young. I think they they say it later in the book, so I don't want to give it away, but she is like 40. Damn. She's youthful. Like nowadays, 40 is like when you want to settle down and get married. Right, exactly. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I'll have a kid by then. Exactly. (laughs) So then she says, people live forever when there is an annuity to be paid. And I thought that was kind of funny. Like, She'll keep living as long as she's promised an annuity. Might as well not give her one, which. Uh, uh, so <laughs> It is enough to make the blood boil. Yeah. So Fanny then complains about how she doesn't believe in annuities anyway, that her mother owed one because her father said she had to pay their servants until they died and that they just kept living and living and that her mother then didn't feel like her income was her own and blah, 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 blah. And all I wrote was that rich people suck. Yeah. And I think what you really get from this anecdote is that Fanny obviously gets this from somewhere. Yes. She comes from money and she comes from privilege. And she comes from douchebaggery. Yes. Then she convinces him that it would be a drain on their resources and all of this stuff. And he says eventually, like, yeah, maybe like a few years down the line, it'd probably be inconvenient to part with 50 pounds because like, what if I have an off year and like, I don't want to give them money. I'm, I can't promise them that. So then he thinks maybe just like the occasional gift will do. And then Fanny says, quote, to say the truth, I am convinced within myself that your father had no idea of your giving them any money at all. Okay, this is terrible and drink because fuck Fanny. Fuck Fanny. My wine is almost gone, Becca. Oh boy. Too many fuck Fannies. But- I got to say, impressive manipulation skills there. Oh, absolutely. But like in the worst way. But yes. Oh, she's the worst. She's a terrible human being. But that's funny. Yeah. No, I laughed out loud. Oh, yeah. She said she thinks that he probably just meant that he should help them find a new apartment, help them move in and occasionally bring them some food. (laughs) Wow. People will say or do whatever benefits themselves if they can twist their mind to believing that it's okay with their conscience yeah then she says this next bit makes me the most mad out of everything that's made me mad so far about fanny she says they're already gonna have 500 a year from their inheritance i think from is like that's what's promised to them from the inheritance maybe or maybe they are they already have 500 a year from something no no, no that's their little like stipend from the inheritance okay that's like what mr dashwood had on hand got it got it got it so they're already going to have 500 a year and they don't really need more than that because they're going to live in a small house they won't have a housekeeper or cooks so they don't need to pay them they're going to live so cheap because basically because they're poor 
and they're going to be living cheaply. They don't need extra money. She says they're going to be living so cheap, they'd do better to give you money. And he's like, oh, that's that's very interesting. And it's really just the rich keeping the poor poor, being like, because they're poor, they don't need extra money. They don't need iPhones. Come on. Right. That's a luxury they can save up against. So then John agrees and says maybe he can give them some furniture or something. And Fanny says that all of the furniture of his father's old estate went to his mother and she won't need any new furniture. Then they complain that the plates that were left from that old estate are actually nicer than the plates that they have at Norwood. And she says, a great deal too handsome, in my opinion, for any place they can ever afford to live in. And I was like, if you gave them some money, they could afford to live in a place that matches the plates. Like, see, here's the passage. This is one of those passages that makes me question how people could think that Jane Austen wasn't shitting on the upper classes. Like, you read this portion and you can see she had some scathing criticism for the people at the top of her society. Absolutely. There's no way to read this and be like, I'm like clutching my baby Yoda right Fury now. Fury holding our baby Yodas. We're like, oh, poor baby Yoda. He's getting squeezed because I hate Fanny Dashwood so much. But like, he's pretty powerful. He's okay. <laughs> yeah, he's good. There's no way to read this part and sympathize with her. Oh, no, not at all. She's clearly like, like I said, like Caroline Bingley, for example, as a comparison, she's mean. She's like not a nice person, but like she's just kind of catty and vindictive. And she says some really rude shit. But Fanny Dashwood is actively cruel. She's cruel. She's trying to ruin these people's lives. Oh, yeah. And for like an extra little bump on her already massive pay grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I will say about Caroline Bingley, I feel like the movie versions tried, or at least the 2005 tried to make her a lot cooler than I think that she is. I think she's actually kind of a bumbling. I, I think Caroline Bingley is not a nice person. No, definitely not. But like you could read Caroline as having it stem from insecurity, right. being kind of a mean girl. Fanny Dashwood has bad values. Oh yeah. No, she's not insecure. She's just a bitch she's just vicious yeah anyway chapter three which is a little bit lighter than what we just went through which was watching a family lose their father and then get absolutely dicked over or should i say fannied over (laughs) by their brother and sister-in-law that was very good good work oh my god i pulled the joke back from earlier and i put it into the episode again that's called a callback and improv good job becca (laughs) okay so chapter three They are staying at Norwood several months, mostly because Eleanor disapproves of all the places her mother has chosen because she's like, we can't afford that. Think of it this way. Like, we're talking about a place that looks a bit like Pemberley did Mm -hmm. or like uh, Rosings. Oh, yeah. They're like really rich. And we're talking about moving into a place that it looks a bit like a place that would make any New Yorker swoon, but like a nice middle class couple would move into in rural upstate New York. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And they can't afford that, or can they? They can afford that. But we're talking about, like, if we're talking about, like, where they're actually moving, because they are more fucked than any of our characters we met in Pride and Prejudice, with the exception of maybe Wickham. But they're still not, like, they haven't gone to, like, pauper levels yet, if that makes sense. They're still able to keep a roof over their heads. Right. But Mrs. Dashwood is, like, not being super sensible about it. And she's like, okay, what's the next best thing that we can get? Well, we're talking about a situation where they, like, I don't want to give anything away, so I'm not going to. But we're talking about a situation where basically we're we're downsizing from a castle. And the amount of downsizing they have to do is so extreme that Mrs. Dashwood cannot cognize it. Right. So Eleanor is trying to be the 
the sensible one and be like, what can we bring with us? Like, we need to take our time with this. Mom, we can have like one servant. We can have this much furniture because obviously we don't have that much space anymore. Like, we have to give away most of everything else. They should sell it. But anyway. So Mrs. Dashwood knows that John promised Henry that he was going to take care of them. And she really trusts him that he's going to do that. And that made me sad because he's not. So, mm. Anyway, she and Fanny really don't get along, and it said that they wouldn't be able to live with each other except for one thing that's keeping them all there, and that is that Fanny's brother and Eleanor have a little thing going. We have a lasagna. Oh my god. Are things beginning to grow? Oh my god. Something's beginning to grow in the lasagna. I hate yes. that phrase. I hate it so much. <laughs> you just reminded me how much I hated that phrase. Oh, God. I'm here for the season two discomfort of things beginning to grow in the lasagna. In the lasagna. <laughs> if you are just joining us now for season two, go back and listen to season one for things growing in the lasagna. <laughs> oh, yes. So, yes, something's growing in the lasagna. Edward Ferrars. Ferrars. Say it again. Edward Ferrars. Ferrars. Ferrers. Oh, like Ferrers. The emphasis on the is on the fair. Okay, Ferrers. But like, if you watch the movie versions, it almost sounds like they're saying Ferrers. Ferrers. Mister Edward Ferrers. Oh, so it's like Ferrers. It's British, so it's Ferrers. Yes, exactly. All right. So Ferrers. So Edward, I'm gonna call him Eddie. Oh, that's okay with everyone. Eddie. Yeah. Eddie. I think he's played by Hugh Grant, but if he's played by Hugh Grant, this is getting confusing for me because that would mean in my brain that Hugh Grant and I'm not looking at Becca because I'm afraid she's gonna laugh at me but I would think that Hugh Grant and Kate Winslet would end up together in this movie but it says that Edward is having a thing with Eleanor who I don't think is played by Kate Winslet but then I remembered that also Alan Rickman is in this movie so maybe Kate Winslet and Alan Rickman but I think that she's a lot younger than him so I don't really know what to expect but I'm hoping and this is my prediction for some drama where Eddie falls in love with Marianne instead of Eleanor. Okay. <laughs> Did I do a good job of neutral face there? Becca's keeping such a straight face. You're like, your face is frozen. She also wasn't looking at me. I peeked up and she was looking down. So anyway, those are my predictions, listeners. So anyway, Eddie and Eleanor have a thing. And I thought it was a little bit weird because they're like sibling in-laws. Okay. Yes, you brought this up before. Yes. And we talked about this because we talked about cousins. And I said, there's siblings-in-laws and there's cousins. And both happen as, quote, attachments in Jane Austen at different points in time. I think cousins is weirder than siblings-in-law. Sure. Like, I get they're not actually related. And one time I was on a Zoom and I was like, oh, I have to go meet my in-laws. And what I meant was my brother's in-laws because... My brother got married and I was meeting her family. But we're actually not each other's sister and brother-in-laws because like they're my brother's in-laws. But my in-laws will be whoever I marry. If they have siblings, those will be my in-laws. But I wouldn't date my sister-in-law, who is my brother's wife. I wouldn't date her brothers. That would be weird. Yes, by modern day standards, that would be weird. However, as far as like keeping wealth at the top goes. Oh, right. They're very incestuous. They are. And I think there's less problems with the bloodline when you just have siblings-in-laws date as opposed to cousins, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Also, in my mind, Eddie is cute, which I'm going to say some stuff about, about Eddie in a moment, but okay, he is the oldest son of a man who died very rich. So one might think that that's why Mrs. Dashwood wants him and Eleanor to get together. However, 
and this is why I love Mrs. Dashwood, she doesn't care. It says, and I quote from our girl Jane Austen, it was contrary to every doctrine of hers that difference of fortune should keep any couple asunder who were attracted by resemblance of disposition. It's just enough for her that they like each other. She couldn't care less about his money. She is like quintessential, like, honey, I just want you to be happy, mom. Yeah, and I love that for her, especially because, like, first of all, she and Eleanor clearly don't have that much in common. Like, she's much more Marianne as her star child. Yeah, but, like, let's be clear about a real difference. Mrs. Dashwood has her flaws, shall we say, but a real difference between her and Mrs. Bennet is that Mrs. Bennet sees her daughters as this sort of market need and accordingly favors. Yes. Mrs. Dashwood just loves her daughters. She really, really does. And she just wants what's best for them. Like, sure, she and Marianne are pals, but like she loves Eleanor and wants her to be happy. And I'm guessing she loves Margaret. She does. <laughs> I just, I really like her. I like that she doesn't care about the money. Like, yeah, it's a perk, but... So remember back in early Pride and Prejudice when you were like, I don't like that she has this great relationship with the father and there's a bad mother. I want to see a good mother. Yeah. Again, for her flaws, she has some, but like Mrs. Dashwood is in the traditional sense a good mother and that she loves her kids. I'm pretty sure I wrote down somewhere, either in my book or here, or maybe just in my brain, that she's my equivalent of Daddy Bennett in like the amount that I love her. Oh my God. Okay, that's fun. Yeah. Keep going. (laughs) Though I know that Daddy Bennett has greater flaws, I think, in terms of character that he then has to deal with later on. I feel like Mrs. Dashwood is honestly kind of perfect as she is, and I stan her. So Okay, so we stan. We stan. We're not attracted to, but we stan. Yeah, so now we get a description of Edward. And I think this is interesting. He's not cute, but, like, Hugh Grant plays him. I'm almost positive, and Hugh Grant is very cute, so, like, that's weird that they would how dare Jane Austen say that Hugh Grant isn't cute I think the idea is that like you know how Wickham's hot yeah Wickham's hot I think Edward is just like understated Edward is just like a good looking face he's just he's just not the kind of guy who like like he's he's modest he's like he's shy yeah he's shy and uncomfortable with his level of class yes it says that he's kind of like standoffish he's it says quote his manners required intimacy to make them pleasing which I I'm kind of equating to Darcy in my mind. It said that he was diffident, which I looked up. It means shy. So I'll put that in the show notes in the glossary of terms and phrases. But he is great when you get to know him. He's very smart, kind. And his mother and sister, Fanny, our least favorite person, both want to see him distinguished. But, quote, they don't know how. Like They don't know what they want him to do. They just want him to do something. They don't give a shit. They just want to see him, like be prestigious yeah and make money Mm -hmm. and so it said either he could be like a politician but until then he could drive a baroche which I looked up is the kind of carriage and so I thought like his mom wanted him to be a cab driver in the meantime no a barouche a barouche first of all it's a barouche (laughs) and second of all I think the notion behind it is that he's like He's shitting on his parents and saying he basically could idle by his time and they don't care. Oh. Like, it's a snarky comment. Oh. See, I was reading it from the parents' perspective, like, from his mom's perspective and thinking, like, oh, he could, why doesn't he drive a cab? And I was like, was cab driving prestigious? (laughs) No, I think it's kind of like, I think it's kind of a sarcastic comment about him, like, just not doing anything with his time until he's ready to, like, make good on the family name. You're so right. That makes a lot more sense because... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No offense to <laughs> cab drivers. Like, you guys rock. No, 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 no. It's absolutely true. But, like, it's not a job that pretentious people think of as, like, high esteem. 
Right. So anyway, Mrs. Dashwood likes him because when she's in her one of her moods, which she is in often, he doesn't try to talk to her. And I think that's neat. Eleanor comments one day that he's very different from his sister. And this was maybe my favorite line. Mrs. Dashwood says, to say that he is unlike Fanny is enough. It implies everything amiable. I love him already. <laughs> Petty. Yeah, truly. Petty. And I, I laughed out loud. I'm going to take a drink of this wine for fuck Fanny coming from Mrs. Dashwood. Yes, drink for that. I finished my wine. So amazing. Drink for both of us. So Eleanor says, well, I think that you'll really like him when you get to know him. And Mrs. Dashwood says, I love him already. Then Eleanor says, you'll esteem him. And Mrs. Dashwood says that she sees no difference between esteem and love, which I think is going to be important at some point in this book. I don't know how, but like, Mm -hmm. well, I guess for her, it means that anyone who she can respect, she can also love, maybe. Okay. Then Mrs. Dashwood is gossiping with Marianne later, and she says that Eleanor and Edward will probably be married soon, and Marianne seems kind of grumpy about it. So she's like, well, what's up? And Marianne says that she's amiable and she loves him tenderly. And then I put in parentheses, is she going to steal him away? I really am thinking that there's going to be some drama here. So who knows? Becca knows, but she's not going to confirm or deny. I will neither confirm nor deny. But then she goes on to say that he isn't very handsome or interesting. His eyes lack any fire and he has no taste in music, books, or art. And she says he admires Eleanor as a lover, not as a connoisseur. Which is interesting. It gets at, like, the heart of what love is. Yes, yes. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. We're not going (laughs) to go totally down that road in this book yet. But, yeah, it's really uh, already you see a real distinction between Eleanor's perspective and Marianne's perspective on finding a mate. Right. And you see the way Marianne describes finding a mate. She wants someone who not only really loves her and adores her, but also has this fire for life, this passion for the arts and the things that inspire a fire within her as well. Mm -hmm. So you see her questioning how Eleanor could enjoy the company of someone who is kind of plain and paltry in her opinion. Right. I mean, she says that if she's ever going to fall in love, his taste has to coincide at every point with her own, which like means that he has to have the, all the same opinions as her, which doesn't actually seem like the best thing in a relationship. We have a picky bitch here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, I think that's foreshadowing that she's going to fall in love with someone who doesn't share all of her opinions. Probably. I don't know. And then she says that he bored her to death the night before when he was reading to them. And Mrs. Dashwood's like, well, it's because we gave him Cowper to read, which I guess is an author. And Marianne's like, well, he could, like, if he couldn't be animated by Cowper, then who could he be animated by? Like, he's so boring. And then she says Eleanor doesn't share her feelings like this. And she's sure Eleanor is going to be happy. But it would have broken her own heart to hear him read with, quote, so little sensibility. It's in the title. It's in the title. And then she says, and this is a quote, and we're going to start off episode one of season two. Here we go. Mama, the more I know of the world, the more I am convinced that I shall never see a man whom I can really love. (laughs) 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 So I stand Mary and being gay. All right. Yep. Um, she's like, I'm going to die alone. And her mom's like, you're 16. Calm down. Then her mom says, why should you be less fortunate than your mother? In one circumstance only, my Marianne, may your destiny differ from hers. Does that mean she doesn't want Marianne to marry someone who then dies? Yeah. I mean, Mrs. Dashwood sees herself as possibly dying alone now because, you know, she's a widow. Sad. I mean, Mrs. Dashwood's life is pretty tragic. It is. It is. She really got fucked over. And she's in mourning. Oh, yeah. And someone's trying to take over her house. It's a whole hullabaloo. Yeah. 
Which brings us to Becca's study questions. Did we miss them? Here they are. Doesn't matter. You did. <laughs> so first question, the immediacy of the economics in love here are really different than they are in Pride and Prejudice. And we touched on this a little, but how does it change the dynamic of the story? Well, something that's similar is that all the daughters are going to be destitute if they don't marry well. The difference is that the mother doesn't seem to care here so much as Mrs. Bennett cared in Pride and Prejudice. And these daughters are actually more destitute. So really, their circumstances should be more high stakes. So it, it is interesting that it already doesn't seem like it's about them getting married. All right. I would add that you're correct about it being really like a high stakes situation like that. The Bennets are trying so hard to ride the edge of a cliff up to safety. Mm -hmm. These girls have already fallen off the cliff. They're already fucked. Right. Like the Bennets were actually fine. And that was my main problem throughout reading the book. Because I was like, you guys are kind of, you're fine. Here, they are literally not fine. But so far, it doesn't actually seem to be a problem for them like they're just looking for a new apartment i mean a new house i mean kind of <laughs> kind of yeah they're like oh man my apartment's been taken over gotta find a new one and they're kind of just like taking their time and the love thing and marriage thing seems very secondary all right second question who do you think we're gonna follow more in this story marianne or eleanor all right, so I think Marianne, but again, only because I'm pretty sure that Kate Winslet plays Marianne, but she might play Eleanor. Honestly, she might play Eleanor. I could be totally wrong. I just had never heard of Eleanor Dashwood, and I had heard of Marianne Dashwood. So I, I think my guess is Marianne, but in that case, Eleanor and Edward, our boy Eddie, like, there has to be something, some problem there. And who does Hugh Grant? I meant who does Alan Rickman play. Not going to tell you anything about any of that. Cool. All right, number three. We start the book at a grand estate and some evil behavior. How does this frame the story? Well, it's already much more clean cut to me. Like whose story this is. Like at the beginning of Pride and Prejudice, first of all, very slow start to that book. We meet our antagonist and we love him at first, Wickham. We meet our protagonist and we hate him at first, Darcy. And we're just like, we don't know what to think. In this one, it's like, we hate Fanny. We really don't like John. And we love the Dashwood girls. And we're rooting for them. So, like, we know who the antagonists are off the bat. Also, I feel like it makes this much more of a story that's like, dun, dun, dun. I like the dun dun dun. Wait, Graham, give us a dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Yes. All right. Great. Thank you. Because, yeah, like I said, this story is already darker. We start Pride and Prejudice from a place of hope. Netherfield Park is lit at last. This one we start with a gentleman died. Yes. This one we start with these girls need to leave their home. This is like father died a year ago today. That's a checkoff reference for all of our listeners who wouldn't get it. But this is very three sisters. There are three sisters. There are three sisters. No way. Um, all right. Last one before we get to the standbys. <laughs> we already have a reference to the title. How do you interpret the title so far? All right. We already have like 16 references to the title. This is a very on-the-nose book. So my guess is either... Sense and sensibility refers to sense being like Eleanor and sensibility being Marianne and Mrs. Dashwood or sense being some undisclosed man and sensibility being our female lead who is either Marianne or Eleanor. 
and being like, how can you both be sensible and have sensibilities? And like, how can you have a lot of feelings and have them running rampant and like act on all of them and also make good choices? And I think that it's probably going to, we're probably going to follow Marianne because she's so emotional, which like rock on sister. In touch with feelings. Yeah. We're probably going to be like, how can she make choices that are good for her and her family while also having these emotions and not being shamed for them? Like, I hope that she is not shamed for her emotions. And I hope that Mrs. Dashwood is not shamed for her emotions. Okay. That brings us to our standbys. Funniest quote. All right. My funniest quote is, I did already say it, but I'm going to say it again. The funniest quote is Mrs. Dashwood. And she says, to say that he is unlike Fanny is enough. It implies everything amiable. I love him already. Great quote. What a queen. We love to hate Fanny Dashwood. Questions moving forward. Who is Eddie going to end up with? Because I have a feeling that there's going to be some drama with him and Eleanor. And will they leave? Like, are they are the Dashwoods going to move? Because right now, they don't seem to have any strong desire to. I mean, Eleanor wants to, but she also wants to stay because Eddie is staying there too at Norwood. So that's a question I have moving forward. And I'm also in- interested. I know that John and Fanny have a son. I Don't know if they have any other kids, and I think the son is a baby, but I'd be interested to know more about them. Okay. Who wins the chapters? Mrs. Dashwood. I thought that would be your answer. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. All right. We are here for some Mrs. Dashwood standing. Oh, yeah. Listeners, that concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice, our first episode of season two. Season two, baby. Chapters one through three of Sense and Sensibility. Molly, how you feeling? I honestly am going to probably continue to call this book Pride and Prejudice because because I almost just did just now. I forgot that we were reading a different book, but I feel good. I am excited to keep going. I am excited to have some new characters I already have strong feelings about, which like I feel like it took me a while to have strong feelings about the characters in Pride and Prejudice. Like I didn't start standing Daddy Bennett until like three episodes in probably. So I'm ready to stan our girl, Mrs. Dashwood and our girls, Eleanor, Marianne, and Margaret, justice for Margaret. And yeah, I'm really excited. I'm also feeling excited because this one is going to be super fun for me. I am doing my damnedest to keep a stone face while we talk. You're doing a really good job. I was really hoping to like be able to pick something out of your expression on this one because it's your favorite and you're doing a really good job of keeping your face very still. All right. I'm glad I am. I am giddy though. This is a book I love revisiting, a story that I think stands the test of time and something that I am excited to share with Molly. So listeners, I'm also excited to share this with you guys. And until next time, stay proper and find yourself a new apartment to live in that is far away from your daughter-in-law who you hate yo fuck fanny fuck fanny Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.